Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, let's go back overseas. We're going to talk a little Greek politics. And it's all Greek to me, so we're going to get somebody that actually knows about this stuff. I know it's a cheap joke, but it works every time. Uh, Alex Petropoulos, another one of our great Young Voices contributors, new face to the program. Hopefully it's not the last time we see him. How are you, sir? Great to see you. Thank you for the time. I'm doing very, very well. Thank you for having me on. All right, let's explain to everybody the UK accent because I introduced you as Greek. You're Greek, but you lived and did university and stuff in the UK. This is not all that uncommon. Just real quick, let folks know about you and how you came to love Greek and explain it to people like me. Yeah, so, you know, I've got a Greek dad and I've got a very multinational mom. Born in the UK, but I've grown up in Greece. So if I'm in one country, I'll call the other my home. And that's usually how it goes. Yeah, that's how it goes. All right. You opened your piece with it. I think it's a good way to open this conversation for folks that aren't super familiar with Greece. And all. look, you can only learn so much of the ins and outs of a political system and a country's politics from afar. Greece is a little different because, you know, we do call it the birthplace of democracy for a reason. Most of the Western tradition of culture comes out of Greece. We've all heard it in school. We've heard it over and over again. Draw me a quick line, though. Ancient Greek to where we are now. I know that's a lot of human history, but what people hear historically and what we're dealing with today, there's threads there, but they're not one and the same. And this is a unique thing for the Greek people right now, right? Yeah. So, I mean, Greece is always sort of coupled with this question of what should its democracy look like? And it's always trying to find the balance between representative democracy and proportional representation and a strong government power when you want, when you finally decide to elect a government, you want them to have a strong mandate and to be able to actually enact their vision. And so this is a a debate that's always going throughout Greek politics and Greek culture. Um, The problem is that recently, the Greek government has sort of tried to push too far on one end of this debate and tried to swing the balance in its favor in a way that is, is not quite illegal, but is dodgy, to say the least. Yeah, and to be fair here, and not disrespectful to anybody here, dodgy politics is a feature, not a bug. You know, there's yeah. a lot of chaos. There's a lot of drama. 
Um, there's a lot that goes into Greek politics. Let's back up, though, because before we get into the current situation, the recent history is really important here. There's mm -hmm. been a lot of economic turmoil. We know about the bailouts and all that. There's been a lot of yeah. cultural turmoil. The cultural turmoil has boiled over into the political where you have, you know, extremist groups that have tried to get power. Some of that's been abated. It's going to be an on-running problem like it is in most countries. Just give us a little bit of the background before we get into this current situation. There's been a lot going on yeah. in Greek policy the last 20 years or so. Greece has been through an adventure, to say the least. Um, so going back to 2010, we had, uh, off the back of the financial crisis, we had the Greek sovereign debt crisis and all the political crises that followed, many, many elections. I, I remember when I was in school, it seemed like every weekend we had to stop school for Friday and Monday because there was going to be an election happening and they had to close school. Um, but throughout all this, you know, Greece has sort of gone through its long recession. It went through essentially a 10-year depression. And now it's coming out of that depression. And to be honest, most of the time you're going to hear stories about Greece, they're going to be really optimistic because, you know, The Economist uh, rated Greece as its unexpected winner of 2022, right? Of all the OECD countries, they were like, Greece, the one that impressed us the most, on the rise. And so whilst as a whole, Greece is taking five steps forward. At the same time, it's important to not lose sight of the steps backwards that it still takes, because there are still problems in the country. Even though corruption is at its lowest level since pre-crisis, it still only has a corruption score of 50%, which puts it at about you know, top 60 in the world. Not too great for an OECD country. Yeah. Alex Pedrovopoulos joining us. Um, these reforms that you're talking about in your piece, we're going to link to it, Young Voices Europe, uh, New European Bureau, we got a lot of good fresh faces in there. You talk about it in your piece, though, these reforms that we're dealing with today, this is actually stuff from about six, seven years ago, and it's just yeah. now taking effect. So one of our core principles in our program, things don't happen in a vacuum, they happen in a sequence. Take us back to that, the 2016 government what mm -hmm. happened there that it put in these new rules about supermajorities and how to change things? Yeah, so the Greek constitution was codified a while back and it said in that, you know, if you ever want to change something with the election system, that can only take place in two elections time, which seems like a quite decent rule. You stop governments coming in and suddenly rigging the system for their next election. So going back all the way to 2016, the left government, Syriza, came into power um, you know, dealing with all the bailout stuff. And they one of their popular policy mandates was to push through fully proportional representation. So if you get 5% of the vote, you get 5% of the seats in parliament. They passed that 20, 2016, all good. Three years later, 2019, the center-right new democracy government wins. And they're like, you know, we actually prefer the old system. We're moving it back to a system that benefits us, that distills and takes away minority representation and it pushes it to the larger parties like themselves and it props them up artificially so that's the history the 2016 changes are coming into play now this election 2023 yeah. the issue is that they might not stay around for long Right. Alex Papadopoulos joining us. Here's the thing with this is just to give the other side of the argument for you to explain to folks. 
they're pushing this as a form of strong and stable government. That's the quote from your piece. Yeah. They got a point. We opened up with it. There's been a lot of chaos. There's a lot mm -hmm. of turnover. There's been a lot of corruption, although that's better. The economic situation is better. So the argument for strong and stable has a strong argument. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're both students of history. We understand strong and stable has also been the entry level card to all kinds of bad forms of government because they're like, oh, well, we can't change because then accountability goes out the window. How do you balance those two things, especially in a country that's kind of finding its political footing right now? Because you do need strong and stable, but you don't want that tipping over to into where you have a permanent majority, which is the fear, right? Yeah. So to clear things up, like the principle of them deciding to change it back, if the people voted for them, that's completely fine. That's a natural and healthy functioning of us just having this balance and this swinging between strong and stable, fully proportional. The problem is the way in which they want to get about that because what they're doing is they're essentially saying we're going to run this one election probably going to be in april no one's going to get a majority and then we're going to immediately run a second one and what that essentially does is it takes this rule in the constitution that says that your rules have to lag by one they have to only apply in the second election to come and it throws that out the window it, it technically gets around it you're just running a second election but in it really goes against the full spirit of the constitution and you're really just slamming through your changes far quicker than they're supposed to. So, I mean, they they have their um, reinforced proportionality. They have their stable government for them, but it will come into play in the next election. And so the democratic thing to do is just wait for that election to come by. Yeah. Here's the thing, too. You talk about it. Look, governments are people. People have human nature. Human nature is undefeated. You talk about it in your piece. And we're going to link to the piece. Make sure you read the whole thing. There's got to be strong incentives to get government to function properly. Mm -hmm. What are the incentives right now that are driving this? Not just the political of we want the old system. There's incentives, reasons why they want to move back and forth, right? What are the incentives right now that are pushing people to have this debate in the first place? Because it really gets to the core of why you want to change it. Because let's be honest, the next time the next group gets in power, they're going to have the same debate again, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that just means getting into the nitty gritty of what the system is. The debate is between fully proportional representation. So 5% of the vote, 5% of the seats or a system where out of 300 seats, you get a, up to a bonus 50 seats that just props up the winning party. And it essentially moves the bar from needing 50% of the vote to win a majority government down to around 39% of the vote to win a majority government. And that, and so what this means practically is it's a question of, do you want a coalition government? Do you want to have to share power? And do you want to have to essentially trade political favors in order to get anything done? Because in previous times, that has been, you know, you get into a coalition and the way you get that coalition, you say, I'm going to give you the Ministry of Defense and I'm going to give you the Ministry of Environment. And then you can end up with maybe some crazy far-right party being given the defense ministry to you know satisfy their ultra-nationalistic egos or whatever and that can have some dangerous consequences so there are arguments to be heard on both sides right You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, Alex Petropoulos joining us. Here we go back to this almost turns into a circle when you're discussing. But look, these problems are not unique to the Greeks. This is something that every government that has representation deals with. How do you deal with that? That give and take you're just talking about horse trading. We talk, talk, you know, just the give and take of politics. Like, I'm going to give you this. You're going to give me this. We're going to compromise and we'll get this policy. in. Mm -hmm. you have to have that to make things work. But at the same time, and you touch in it on your piece. That also gives the sitting politicians and the current leadership a very now driven focus because it really makes them focus on the now. Good government Mm -hmm. has to focus past the now. How do you get past this next election? How do you get past the next four, six, eight years? If you're having this argument, those things start going by the board and the propensity is you're going to wind up with the same problem all over again. Right. That's the concern. Yeah. And and I think you're really right about that long term because. Let's say you're someone who really believes in this system of strong government. The next election will, sorry, not the next, the one after next election will have that system. It's already in the law. It will just take two elections time. So realistically, you could be in a position like I am, to be honest, where I think, you know, next four years, maybe I'm okay with that strong, stable government to get us, you know, really accelerate us out of the crisis and sort of grow the economy really strongly. But after that, I want proportional representation. I want them to be held accountable. And so if we want to really argue for that balance, we have to sort of say, okay, this election will have this system. Next election, we've got to swap. So let's vote for one party this election, have them change the election system, and then just have a new election again, right? Yeah, Alex Petrobel is joining us. That's the political side. That's the legislative side, the parliamentarian side. What's the appetite of the people right now? Because even though this is a parliamentarian government, so it's a little one step isolated from like what we do in America, where we throw out our Congress every two years for elections. What's the appetite of the people with this? Is there a little bit of um, is there a little bit of weariness to the back and forth here? Is there a little whiplash from wanting to change the system back already? 
What's the appetite of the people right now? Because that's probably going to be the deciding factor in all this, right? Well, I mean, for one, people, it, it is it is quite a weird effect having the delayed onset of these changes because this is the first time Greeks will have proportional representation since 1989. So for many Greeks, they don't know what that looks like. So I don't think they're necessarily burnt out and tired of all the changes. I think that the results of this first election and then running a second could undermine the will of the Greek people for having proportional representation because it sort of paints this picture of picture of you can never form majorities without this uh, strong and stable system. But at the same time, you've got to look at things through another lens, which is that the current government has been going through somewhat of a scandal and a crisis at the moment. It's sort of been dubbed by international media and local media as Greek Watergate, right? And there's this big scandal of the national um, intelligence agency in Greece has been spying, essentially, and setting up wiretaps on opposition uh, members of parliament and also prominent journalists. And so there's been a lot of, you know, tension within opposition parties. There have been a lot of accusations being thrown left and right. So the general air of the government isn't trying to mess us over and isn't trying to undermine democracy and democratic values, there's already a lot of uh, subtext and pre-existing tension there. Yeah. Let's touch on history there real quick. The subtext there is, if you go back into history far enough, you go back you know, to the late 60s, early 70s, the military rule in, in Greece. For folks that aren't familiar that memory is fading, but that's still living memory, especially for probably a lot of the the ruling class, those folks in their mm-hmm. 60s and 70s that really have a lot of the power and the money in the country right now. That's a formative experience for them. Just real quick for folks that aren't familiar with it. There's a reason something like that, even though corruption's a little bit better, something like a wiretapping scandal. That's why that kind of gets people's feathers up. That That's just kind of an ingrained thing for that generation, right? Yeah, it, it sets off alarm bells. It, the, the parallels of scary obviously no one's suggesting that the government's trying to do something like what happened in the 70s with the military junta where the military essentially took control of the government and greece became a a military controlled state for about a decade and it was the trigger for all of the mess that happened in cyprus uh and it you know i don't have to really go on to tell to tell people why that'd be a bad thing but it's such a core um, it's such a core cool memory for so many Greek people, I mean, not for myself, because I only read about it in history books. And, you know, every year when we com- commemorate the atrocities of that time, we talk about it. So I guess it's polarizing for students and it's polarizing for that older class, but there's that middle gap that maybe doesn't quite remember it and doesn't quite take see it the same way. Yeah, it could be.
Alex Petropoulos. Let's talk about the here and now real quick, though. That's internal Greek politics. There's a lot going on outside of Greece right now. There's the never-ending fussing with the Turks going on, which has flared mm-hmm. up recently. You mentioned Cyprus. Cyprus is still a problem. Uh, of course, the economic situation, um, the, Greece, like everybody else, is keeping an eye on Ukraine and Russia. That's a complicated relationship with the Greek government. Mm-hmm. What's the external stuff going on outside of this that both the Greek government and the Greek people are kind of keeping an eye on? And is that going to be unifying things or is that going to be divisive things as this government's trying to kind of find its footing for what they're going to do electoral wise? Yes. I mean, that's why I actually I just finished writing up a, an op ed on this. Um, in fact, but I, it was going to go up, but it's been paused because of the, um, the earthquake in Turkey. And, you know, that may end up reshifting how everyone thinks about this because in the lead up in the run-up to the turkish and the greek elections there's been really an elevation of tensions but since the earthquake happened in turkey that killed many people the first people to call and respond and say we're here to help we're here to we're we're sending first responders we're sending um, helicopters filled with medics and firefighters was greece right and so maybe this event will actually go to sort of soften tensions and ameliorate some of the concerns. That being said, maybe within a month, things will be back to how they were. And then if we talk about how things were and how things will be probably in a month, we're really looking at a Greece that is aiming to redefine its geostrategic location within the world. And it's sort of aiming to fill a turkey-sized hole in NATO, right? In the sense that Greece is becoming increasingly important for NATO in sending troops up through Bulgaria and Romania into NATO. It's becoming increasingly important to sort of act as an airbase for sort of NATO projecting its power into the Middle East. So if you look at a lot of things that the government has been doing, the Greek military budget was 2.8% of GDP in 2020. In 2021, that went up to 3.9% of GDP. And down to 3.75. So there's been a massive, massive spending on military. So clearly the current government sort of sees itself as filling this hole within NATO in the southeast and within the southeast of the Med and sort of aiming to sort of be the anchor state within the Mediterranean for NATO. And so obviously it, would have, it has to win its next election to do that. And that maybe would sort of play into why it would want the stability to be able to sort of how can it call and claim to be providing stability for the south of europe if it can't provide stability within its own form of government yeah good points <sighs> alex pedrop excuse me alex petropol <laughs> see i got all the way through it now i can't say it alex petropolis uh joining us one last question kind of put a bow on this and you you almost did it right there just in explaining that the greek relationship with europe has always been complicated it's ingrained it's not going away you know the the friendship we'll put it politely with turkey that's not going to change anytime soon especially with the current leadership in that country mm-hmm. what's the immediate future for the next few years because it looks like you know economically you just started out with it you know they the projections are the economy's improving the corruption's down even with this wiretap scandal but corruption's down so that's kind of made it a big deal that's kind of a self-fulfilling mm-hmm. thing yeah you know. what's the future of greece the next few years not just the nato stuff but just 
kind of coming out of this real turbulent area. Do you think they continue to ascend or is this going to be a plateau or is this a peak? Where do you think we are here for the next few years? Yeah, I think I think the phrase that sums it up really great is five five steps forward, one step backwards. And, you know, even if you look back into 2019, that's when we started coming out of the crisis and then COVID hit. So it's sort of been a COVID ended up prolonging the crisis and prolonging the economic depression longer than it should have been. But the country is rearing to recover and is rearing to keep growing. And I think that I think Greece is definitely going to be on the rise. I think that it will possibly need to diversify its portfolio in order to actually continue that growth and make it sustained. But I think that it has a lot of allies. You know, there are a lot of people within Europe who sort of look at Greece and still hold this impression of broke country, can't handle its finances. I mean, as a Greek-British person, I think I'm allowed to say that I think that the roles have now been reversed and the UK now holds that that crown. Um, but, and so, you know, take it like this, when I'm thinking about where I'd like to work over the next five, 10 years, I'm leaning more Greece than the UK. So that sort of can give you my impression of the upward trajectory that it sort of has on its path. Yeah. And no offense to the British beaches, but much better beaches in Greece. So <laughs> a little, little better there. Alex Papropoulos, thank you so much for the time today. Till we get you back on Hertel, though, let folks know how they can keep up with you, how they can follow you. We're going to link to your piece and all your social media. Let folks know how they can keep up with you until we get you back on Hertel again. Yep. So I write for the Young Voices Europe blog, but I'm also a Young Voices UK contributor. So you can find me on Twitter um, at Alex T. Pet. And I'm writing for all sorts of publications. Got published in City AM today. So if you just follow me on Twitter, you can find all my good and bad takes. Yep, his profile's up on the youngvoices.org page. We'll link to that. We'll definitely have you back. Important part of the world. We got to keep an eye on a lot going on there, especially Erdogan acting funny. Greece is going to be our natural ally there. Thank you so much, Alex Petropoulos. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org 
or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.